today, open to Colossians chapter 3. We finished the first two chapters. There are four chapters in Colossians. So we're halfway through. And uh, hopefully by, by fall we can finish this up. We'll see what happens here. I, I flirted with going well into the text, like into verse 17 today or something like that. Something really ambitious. And then I remembered myself. We're not going to do that. We're going to do verses 1 to 4 today of Colossians chapter 3, which I think is plenty to bite off because there's a lot in this text. So if you have your Bibles, join me there in Colossians chapter 3 as we look into the text today. The title of our lesson today is Our Hidden Life. Our Hidden Life. Did you ever miss out on something great? For whatever reason. You were late, it took too long to get to that thing, or someone beat you to it. Or maybe you didn't know it was great before you realized how great it was. Um, there's a few undiscovered treasures in my life that I didn't realize were treasures until I sampled of those things. And I'll give you a few examples here. Some are silly, a couple serious at the end. Naps. <laughs> when I was younger, I hated naps. I, I think all kids do. I think they're the worst thing that was ever, ever invented. But when I was in school, they had this little project, Mommy, you'll remember this, that they had us do. It was called Pet Peeves. And they asked us to fill out, draw or something, your pet peeve. And my pet peeve was, I hate naps. In fact, I think I wrote down, I hate when my mom makes me take a nap when I'm not tired. That was my pet peeve. Naps are awesome now. I love naps. <laughs> Now that I've grown and realized how fantastic naps are and necessary they are, now my pet peeve has changed completely the opposite. Now my pet peeve is when I can't get a nap. <laughs> so it's interesting how those things change. Um, meat? I don't want to offend any vegetarians here, but when I was younger, I didn't really like meat. I, I, I wanted to avoid meat. I, I thought it had a weird texture. Some people have pink meat. I thought that was strange. So I wanted to stay near bread and cheeses, things like that. <laughs> A lot of bread and cheese. Um, and somewhere along my life, I started sampling meat, and I started to realize something. Meat's pretty tremendous um, to me. In fact, if I think if I have an epitaph on my gravestone one day, I think it's going to say I should have eaten more meat, right? Because a lot of people, I'm sure, will have that one. So meat was another one. Um, coffee. I was talking with Luke about coffee. Luke has just recently got into coffee. I avoided coffee like the plague. I, I couldn't believe people could drink such a thing. And then I started working at a bank after college from, you know, 9 to 5 or whatever it was. And you get into the meaty part of the afternoon and you start getting tired and you start drifting off. And I, I really was. It was very monotonous work. And I started to realize if I don't t drink some coffee or do something to stay awake, I might lose my job. So I started drinking coffee, and at the beginning it was barely coffee. You know, it's full of milk and sugar, and you put a little bit of coffee on top. But then you wean yourself off of all that stuff, and now I love coffee. Coffee's my companion. In fact, I have some here below if I need it. Um, football. When I was younger, it was all about baseball and basketball. And those are fine sports. Those are good sports. I didn't understand football. My dad wasn't really that much into football, so I kind of didn't watch football. And then I started watching football into my teens and realized it's the best sport ever. It's way better than baseball and basketball. It is. It's like a masculine chess. It's a wonderful sport. I love football. Didn't realize how great it was before I realized that. But How about reading? 
when you're younger, you hate reading, right? Maybe. Some do. I hated reading. I didn't, I didn't want to read. I thought reading was so boring and, and couldn't believe people wanted to read. But as I've grown, I've realized what a valuable treasure reading is, and now I can't get enough. I just want to read and read and read and read. Um, so these are ideas of treasures that I didn't realize were treasures until I you know, dove into them. How about this one, marriage? When I was like five or six, I was in a wedding, and I was a ring bearer in a wedding. And I remember on the way back, I remember this, and my parents definitely remember this because they've told me several times. On the way back home, I told my parents, uh, I never want to get married. Never. I, I can't believe people do this. Never want to get married. And it lasted till 29. Uh, but now that I'm married, it's a treasure. And any of those who are considering marriage, it really is a treasure. And the last one, of course, more serious, is Christ. I grew up a Christian, but I didn't really know the treasure of Jesus Christ until I was sometime in my mid-20s, unfortunately. And once I discovered the treasure of Christ, there was no turning back because he is a treasure. And that's kind of been our theme through the Colossians is treasuring Jesus Christ. Let me give another, a little bit of a story here. Um, when I was married, am married, we started having children, and we have several now. But uh, we had one for a time, Haddon. And, you know, a first-time parent, that doesn't go real well. You don't know what you're doing, you know. It's really true, and it's sad that it's true, but you make all your mistakes with the first kid, you know. You want to wrap them in Nerf so they never get hurt, you know. You're covering every single corner and hard edge. It's like a rubber room after you're done. And uh, nap time, you know, we used to like spend like an hour and a half just getting Haddon down for nap time. Now, like, now we're like, lay the kid down, go to sleep, you know. <laughs> well, what happened is we had, a, we had one child, we weren't very good at it, and then we found out Janine was pregnant again. And it's like, okay, here we go again, you know, starting this process over. So we went to the ultrasound, and our doctor did basically an ultrasound every time we went to an appointment. He had one right in his room there. So it was one of those early ultrasounds, and we're looking at the baby, you know, and we wanted to see if the baby was healthy and on track and things like that. So the doctor's looking at the ultrasound and he's, everything looks normal. Baby's on track, you know, baby's looking good. They show us a little picture. You can see the head and things like that, the heartbeat, and it looked great. And right before he was like wrapping up, he said, let me just look to make sure there's not another one. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, let me just make sure. There, you, there probably isn't, but let's make sure there's not another one. And he goes, wait a minute, I think I see another head. And I'm like, what does that mean? I was like, is our kid going to be in the circus or something? <laughs> he goes, I think I see another head of another baby. And I was like, wait, what? And I obviously knew twins were a thing. It's not the first time I realized twins were a possibility, but I had never considered twins a possibility for our family. And we took a video of this ultrasound, not expecting the twins, so this video is quite hilarious. I wish I could show it. Uh, I'm the one videoing this ultrasound, and the doctor starts explaining to us that we're having twins. And I, the phrase I just kept saying over and over and over is, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. I think I punched every word. you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. And the doctor's like, I'm not kidding. I do this all the time. You have twins. And I remember back then just terror filling my heart. Because we had one kid, and now we jump to three? Who thinks we're qualified for that? You know? And I'm thinking, this is not going to go well. We're going to bring two babies home. We already have a kid. 
And I was filled with terror, realizing that our life was about to change drastically, and it did change drastically. But I tell you confidently today that our twins are a treasure to us. Our life drastically changed, and it's been different ever since. But without those guys, I don't know how we would function. Those guys are a treasure to me. I love having twins. I love that they're so similar, yet so distinct. So twins are another treasure. I want to talk about hidden life, our hidden life. And really the idea, again, is treasure, hidden treasure. Let's look into the text. It's Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Listen to what Paul says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What have we learned so far in Colossians? We've learned two chapters of really good stuff. I mean, this is why I love Colossians. It's really meaty. And I'm going to look at a few things we've learned along the way and kind of connect the dots so we understand why we're here and what Paul's talking about. So if you remember, it's on your sheet. It's also going to be on the screen. What have we learned in our studies through Colossians so far? Well, the first thing we learned is that the Colossians church was a good church. They had faith in Christ, and Paul says it was proven by their love for all the saints. So faith in Christ and love for all the saints. The Colossians church was a very good church. So Paul saw potential in the Colossians for something greater. And so he prays very interestingly after this. This is what Paul says. He prays that the Colossians would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Basically, Paul tells the Colossians that their final goal on this earth is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he thinks, based on their fruit, based on the fact that they're a good church, they can get there. So Paul's going to pray for that, and he's going to encourage them to head to the summit of Christianity, which is fully pleasing to the Lord. He wants them out of the shallow pool and into the deep pool. And so we talked about that, that really that is the end goal of Colossians, for all of us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And in an effort to do that next, Paul exalted Jesus Christ as high as he knew how. So the Colossians would understand the immense supremacy of Jesus Christ over everything. And this is interesting, that Jesus is the motivation to live for Jesus. He is his own motivator. And Paul used as strong language as he could to understand, to help the Colossians understand how great and supreme Jesus is over everything so they could get to the summit. Next, he took a little bit of a detour here and started talking about suffering, telling us that suffering for the Lord helps mature us in the faith, that suffering actually helps us cast off dead weight, helps us cast off impurities, helps us run faster and cleaner. So if you've ever been on a hike or anything like that, you want to be light, you want to be loose, you want to be able to get there quickly, right? You don't want a lot of cumbersome stuff on you. And really, if we're going to hike to the summit, we need to be light, and suffering casts off the weight that's holding us down. So we talked about that. And then Paul says this in chapter 2, that he desires that the Colossians treasure Jesus far above every other treasure on the earth because 
Jesus is unrivaled in value and worth. And Paul made that point very clear. He wants the Colossians and us to have a self-sustaining faith. And what do I mean by that? A faith that doesn't have to be kick-started every Sunday. It's a faith that every single morning gets up and remembers the treasure of Jesus and continues climbing the summit to where we're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. And to do such a thing, you need to understand the treasure of Jesus. Then Paul warned us. He warned the Colossians of the devil's deceit because there's an opposition and pushback in the Christian life, and he didn't want them to be unaware of that, that there's pushback from the devil. The devil is going to do his best to deceive, to distract, and to devalue Jesus Christ so that we eventually walk away from him. And Paul wanted to warn the Colossians and us of the devil's tactics there. And then last week we talked about legalism. Paul warns us of one other thing, that there's these Judaizers, which really are the devil's minions, that are trying to attach many other things to Jesus. So that you don't just follow Jesus, you follow Jesus plus a lot of add-ons. Because when you do that, you'll eventually lose sight of Jesus. And Paul warned the Colossians of such opposition. So that's last week. So here we are. We're in chapter 3. Now Paul is going to take the Colossians even further by telling them and us that our truest life is the one that is hidden in Christ and that we mustn't stop short of discovering the hidden treasure. Paul knew the journey was going to be tough. He had journeyed this way himself, so he knew it was difficult. But he wanted the Colossians to go forward in spite of the difficulty so that they attain the treasure. They get to the hidden treasure, which is your real life in Christ. And we'll talk about that concept here today. I'm going to get to the text, okay? Talk about what he is meaning here, what he's going along here. The first thing he says is, if. If then you have been raised with Christ. And some of the commentators believe that you can translate that word into since. Since you've been raised with Christ, do this. But he says if. And I'd like to think about that for a second. The first thing he says is, if you've been raised with Christ. In other words, have you been raised with Christ? And that's really what I want to focus on for a couple moments here, is have you been raised with Christ? It's really easy to call yourself a Christian in today's culture, sadly. It just means you go to church. It means you're generally moral. But Paul says it's a new life. It's a new birth, as Jesus taught us. And there's a couple times in Scripture that he tells us, Peter and Paul, Jesus himself included, to check ourselves, to make sure we're in the faith. The first one comes from 2 Peter 1, chapter, 10, or, uh, chapter 1, verse 10, says, Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. It doesn't mean to save yourself. It doesn't mean to elect yourself. It says, check to see if you have been elected and called and saved. Check the necessary fruit in your life so that you know you have been raised. Because if you haven't been raised, all of this is meaningless. You can't get to the summit because you can't get anywhere without the help of God. And we can't even be new creatures without God first saving us through Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says it this way, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Have you ever examined your faith to see if it's authentic? Now, I didn't know of such a thing when I was growing up. I thought every faith was authentic. 
As long as you claim Christianity, you are a Christian. Well, I understood my own testimony growing up that I probably was the poster boy for a faith forgery because I had been claiming Christ for 20 years and had very little to maybe even no fruit to authenticate my faith. So once I started to examine and once I started to make sure that my faith was authentic, I found something kind of scary. It might not be. And so what do you need to do? Go to the source of salvation, Christ Jesus himself. This isn't Paul's point. Paul's point is not to tell the Colossians about the gospel or the beginnings of how to get saved. He's assuming and believing that these people know Christ because they have faith and love for all the saints, but we always know that there's a few, right? There's probably a couple or a few in the audience who may not know, who may not be showing fruit. And therefore, Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ. So I have to ask that of you today. Are you actually a follower of Jesus? For a long time, I called myself one, and I actually wasn't one. So I know what that is like. Have you been raised from the spiritual dead by God through Christ? Have you been given new life, new power, new loves, new hates? How about a true love for Jesus? Do you see those things in your life? New, profound things? We need to check the proof. We need to check the authentication of our faith. And if not, we, we don't need to doubt the fact that we're saved if we do see the fruit. That's not the point. The point that is if we don't see the fruit, question the faith. Bring it into the light. Make sure you have an actual faith and not a forgery. When we went to New York City a few times growing up, uh, they had these guys with briefcases. You guys ever been there? Some guy will appear out of the shadows, and you're like, what? Where'd that guy come from? And he's got like a briefcase, and he opens up the briefcase, and there's all these special watches. He's like... So I was young. I didn't know what this, guy, what this guy was doing, you know. I'm looking at this going, oh, those are nice watches. And then I look close. I'm like, they're Rolex watches. How does this guy have so many Rolex watches? The guy's like, $15. $15, you're going to have yourself a Rolex. I was like, really? Yeah, that sounds like a bargain. So I give the guy my $15. I pick up my fresh new, brand new Rolex watch. All excited. I show my parents, and they're like, eh. I don't think Rolex is spelled with a U, Todd. <laughs> you might not have a real Rolex watch. I was like, what? <laughs> I thought I stumbled about a treasure here, $15 Rolex. Made my wrist green. It was beautiful. <laughs> Faith forgeries. Unfortunately, there's many out there. Devil is handing them out all the time. And therefore, you have to check to see if you're in the faith. One preacher put it this way. He said, as an illustration, what if someone came in today telling us they were hit by a Mack truck on the way to work or way to church, but there was no mark upon their body, <laughs> nothing. They were hit square by a Mack truck and they looked absolutely perfect. Wouldn't you question the authentication of that story? And basically what Paul is saying here is if you've been hit directly by God and his power and his saving grace, there's going to be a mark. A very profound mark. Now, we're not going to be perfect people, but there will be a change, a very big change. And Paul wants to say today, before I go into the meat of the text, are you raised with Christ? Have you been given new life? 
And if you're unsure, take the one profound step today and turn to Jesus. He is the only one who can change your heart, only one who can change your mind and what you love. Sadly, I think some people today are clinging on to things besides Christ. And I'll give you a couple examples of this. When I was younger, it was all about the sinner's prayer. So you know what I did? When I felt doubting my faith, I clung to the sinner's prayer. I would say the sinner's prayer again. And really, I understand the idea of the sinner's prayer. It's to, it's to validate and tell Jesus what you want uh, your faith to be. But I got confused by that, and I started clinging on to the sinner's prayer. And the sinner's prayer let me down. I said it probably 20, 30 times, and no change started to happen. And I think it's because I was clinging on to the prayer and not to the one who saves. So are you clinging on to the prayer today? Are you clinging on to your knowledge of Christ? I know some things about Jesus. Are you clinging on to your family background that you grew up in Christianity? Because that's a very big difference from clinging on to Christ himself. It has to be Christ. I'll illustrate this one more time. I went to this um, theme park, this amusement park in Ohio called Cedar Point. Anyone ever been there? Drew, that's it. Okay. Yes. It's a cool park. It really is. It's a nice park. Uh, I'm not huge into amusement parks. They're okay. I get nauseous. <laughs> not great when you go to an amusement park. But for some strange reason, I went on this ride called Max Air, and it I think I've told you this before. It flings you up in the air, way up in the air, and spins you around and around and around. You guys are getting nauseous just thinking about it. So I got very nauseated on this ride, but that's not my illustration. Um, at one point on this ride, it takes you all the way up into the sky, and as it's flinging you around and around, you have this harness in front of you, okay? Holding you in, which is I'm thankful for. But at one point during the ride, I actually kind of came out of my seat a little bit, and my entire weight is upon this harness. And I was quite terrified by that, even though it was a fraction of a second. I'm thinking, if this harness lets go, I'm gonna fling across the park. And uh, I didn't. But what was nice to know is when I, was, when I had my weight against the harness, there was a little bit of pushback that it felt secure. It felt like I wasn't going to fling out. But I realized my entire weight was upon that harness. That's salvation. When your entire weight is upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you get it. If he goes, you go. Because your entire weight is upon Christ. And that's the point of saving faith. That Jesus will not give way. He will hold you. He's strong. He's an authority to do such a thing, and he has all supremacy. So the question, once again, is, is your full weight upon Christ? Do not leave confused on this matter. If you are confused or you don't know, come talk to me, or better yet, seek Christ out directly, because here's the idea of salvation. There's no other hope. There's no other Christ. If you miss this boat, no more boats will come. You can't neglect the great salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So have you been raised with Christ? Check your heart. Check your life today. But that's not really Paul's point. Paul is going to, to say something here, and so we're going to go on. So the first thing he says is, if you've been raised with Christ, assuming you have, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And really what he's saying is, listen, dead people seek dead things, and that makes sense? 
Alive people should seek alive things, things above. And we'll talk about what exactly those things are. So that's the first thing he's saying is dead seek out earthly things. Okay, Alive people seek out heavenly things. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where the alive things are and get your mind off of things that are dead. And he says where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ, right this very moment, is in heaven, seated on his throne. And he's waiting for two things. He's waiting for his church to be brought to him, and he's also waiting for his enemies to be brought to him. His church to gather with him, and his enemies, according to Scripture, to be made a footstool for his feet. Christ is in authority. Now, right now, it seems like the devil has full reign and rule. And in some degrees, he does on this earth. But he doesn't get the final say, does he? He won't gain the victory, will he? Christ will. So, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And as I mentioned before, all Christians must have new ambitions. They must have new desires. They must have new loves and new practices in order to be sure that you're a Christian. And again, none of us are going to reach perfection this side of eternity, but you will have new marks upon you. Things that come from God. If those ambitions and desires aren't self-motivated, like I said before, and they have to be kick-started each new week at church, I hate saying it this way, but there is a reason to doubt the authentic... Why can't I say the word? Say it. Somebody say it. There it is. I'm not even going to say it. Of your faith. I can write it, but not say it. Um, there's a reason to question it if you don't have those new ambitions and new desires. And I tell you this as someone who's been there. I never questioned it. I assumed it. Even though I didn't love Christ, even though I was practicing sin, until the Lord confronted me and said, are you really sure you're mine? So next, he says in verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Set your mind on them. It has this idea of like an intense focus. You ever had to really focus for something, really intensely focus on something? That's really the idea we're talking about is focus intensely upon things above, not on things of the earth. And really what he's talking about with things above that we're not going to get to, we will in a couple weeks, is look at verses 12 to 17 in Colossians 3. Take a moment and glance at those things there. When Paul is speaking of things above, this is what he's talking about. Things that matter to God. Mentioned in verses 12 to 17, like kindness, compassionate hearts, humility, forgiveness, things like that. Set your mind on those kinds of things. Not on things of the earth. Well, what are those things? Does it just mean anything the earth does? Well, maybe, maybe not. Look at verses 5 to 11. This is what I think Paul is going to do in this, in this next couple series we talk about, next couple sermons, is what are the things above and what are the things on the earth? And in verses 5 to 11, he mentions things on the earth. Sexual immorality, covetousness, idolatry. Do not set your mind on those things, but set your mind on the things after that. Kindness, forgiveness, patience, meekness, things like these. Set your mind on them each new day. 
No one is yet perfectly practiced holy living, myself included, except our Lord Jesus. However, our minds must be set on things above. Because here's the idea. If you don't set your mind on things above, you will not live for those things. You first have to get there with your mind before you can get there with your practices. And what our minds are set on is what we will follow. It really is. I, I really am not a multitasking kind of person. Any multitaskers out there that you can multitask pretty well? Yeah, that makes sense. There's like two. Uh, I, I actually, I'm, I'm quite amazed when I see even musicians singing and playing something at the same time, right? That's quite impressive because I could do nothing like that. I, got, I, I have one thing on my mind. I focus on that. And if someone takes my attention, I'm doing that thing instead of this thing. But I think today we think there's a lot of multitasking Christians out there. That you're following Christ, but you're also doing many of these other things at the same time. And Paul says, no. Your mind has to be set on things above. Intensely focused on things above. Or you will not get there. You will not practice them unless your mind is first there. So we cannot be sanctified if our minds are not first set upon things above. Which sanctification and holy living is really important. It's a prerequisite into entrance into the kingdom of God. That if you don't have the holiness I talked about before, the mark of Christ's blood upon your life, you're not getting into heaven. He says many in the gospel, the gospel of Luke, he says, many in the last day will say to him, Lord, Lord, let me enter into the kingdom of heaven. I'm one of yours. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. Where's the marks upon your life for my blood? Where's the obedience? Where's the holiness? Where's the new loves and the new practices? If you really had an encounter with my saving grace, you'd be a different person today. So we must have holiness and a sanctified life. And therefore, we must set our minds on things that are above. Next, he says, if you have died, for, excuse me, before you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ, and maybe if you have a highlighter or a pen, circle that phrase, hidden with Christ. Because I think that's kind of the point today that your life is hidden with Christ. Um, I asked Paul to read John 15 today, which is one of my favorite passages. And if you could tell from that passage, Jesus is saying, I am your life. I am your sustenance. You don't grow without me. You don't have me. You don't abide in me. You don't grow. You don't bear any fruit. You can't do anything apart from Christ. And then Paul says here that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. So here's the idea. If you have been raised with Christ, like I mentioned before, it signifies that a death has first occurred. Because there's no new life unless there's first a death. And that's the idea Paul is talking about here. That there's no resurrection unless there's first a death. And the idea of this death is things that we die to when we turn to Christ, like sin. When you turn to Christ, you do this thing called repent. You turn from your sins and unto Jesus, and therefore you die to sin. Like you divorce it. You and I have no more relationship. That doesn't mean I will never fall into you, but you and I are not friends any longer. So you die to sin, but you also die to self, which is a little different than sin. It's not just blatant sin. Now it's your own desires and your own ambitions. Jesus says you die to self too. So you're no longer your own Lord and master. When you turn to Christ, he gets full control. So you die to sin and you die to self. But you also die to the things of this world. 
And unless you die to those things, there is no life with Christ. And that's really what baptism signifies. It signifies dead to sin, self, and the world, alive in Christ. You have a new life. You have a new master. You have a new path and theme of your life to follow. So you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Our lives are hidden with Christ. Hidden. Think about that word. That word is there on purpose. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. I think what the devil is trying to do is here is he's trying to tell us that Jesus is like this. Remember we talked about the theme park. Sometimes they give you the stamp you put on your hands in case you ever leave the park and want to come back in, and they'll check the little stamp. I think the devil has kind of taught us that Jesus is kind of like an eternal heavenly stamp upon your hand. That you need him for salvation, get your hand stamped, and then you can come and go as you please. And then when it's time to enter into the kingdom of God, you show him your stamp. Look, been saved. I said the prayer. That's not biblical. It's devilish. Jesus is not a stamp in anyone's life. He is our life. And so the devil is lying when he tells us that Christ is just a part or just a key. He's our life. And in fact, John 14, 6, Jesus said that exact thing. I'm the way, the truth, and you guys finish it for me. And the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So he's not a part of your life. He's not a profound part of your life. He is your life. Do you see the difference there? And yet many, unfortunately, cannot see this because it's hidden from them. And we'll talk about that. Only those who really desire to see this life in Christ, you'll have to dig, are those who are willing to dig and discover it. So the focus of our lesson is this. Whatever you live for is what you believe to be the most valuable and necessary. I'll say that again. Whatever you live for is what you believe to be the most valuable and necessary. So if you live for family, you believe family is most necessary and valuable. If you live for success, you believe success is most necessary and valuable. Fitness, then fitness. Jesus, then Jesus. So whatever you live for is what you believe. Does that make sense? Your belief is followed by your lifestyle. And so, like I said before, most of us have received Jesus and believed on Jesus for salvation because we were convinced that we need him in to, get, to get into heaven and to, to avoid hell and punishment and things like that. So we received Jesus because we believed. It just makes perfect sense. It's a perfect equation. We were convinced we need Jesus to avoid hell and to get into heaven. However, there's some of us who don't yet faithfully and consistently follow and obey and treasure Christ. And I think this proves because we don't believe we need to. Or he's not valuable enough for me to do that. I got the stamp. I'm going to heaven. So why do I really need to follow, obey, and treasure Jesus Christ? And I think it's, here's an illustration. It's like a man who watches pornography instead of making a covenant in marriage. Because they believe that's better. That's more joyful. And they're wrong. They're wrong. And anyone who doesn't consistently follow, obey, and treasure Jesus Christ has been duped by the devil. 
into thinking that Jesus is only necessary for one part of your life and not your actual life. So our true life is hidden with Christ in God, and those, only those who believe that Jesus is their life will abandon the things of this world and start digging for their true life in Christ. It's like money. If you have money, you part with the money if you believe that you're going to get something better than the money you're giving up, right? That's why we buy things. I'd rather have this thing than the money. Money's valuable, but I'd rather have this, so I, I pay for it. And it's the same idea, that if you really want your life in Christ, then you must believe that everything else is of less value. Because why else would you give up things in your life in order to gain Christ? And really what I'm trying to show you is it's a belief problem. And this idea of hidden with Christ is kind of confusing. Why would it be hidden? As I look into the text and the scripture as a theme, I see, I see this kind of paradox in scripture, that God wants to both reveal Jesus and hide him. Like a present reveal tease. You know, like when someone shows you a present and says, not till tonight, not till your birthday. Well, why'd you show me the present if I can't open it? And I think God is asking us this, who is going to dig? Who's going to sample Christ, see his goodness, see his value, and see his worth, and who will get their shovels out and start digging for better and more experiences and revelations of Christ Jesus? So the question for us today is, do we believe only half the truth? That Jesus is only necessary for salvation, but not our every aspect of spiritual and physical life? Do you believe you need Jesus for only salvation? and not to follow and obey him every single day of your life? The devil loves half-truths because he knows they fully kill. Like if you were convinced that a wife is only necessary for the wedding, and not for the marriage, and not for your day-to-day -day life. Jesus is important for every aspect of your existence. He is your life. And that's what Paul is trying to realize, show us today. Look at a couple verses here from Scripture. I pulled these from, one from the old, one from the new. There's one from Jeremiah 29. It's given to the Israelites in the Babylonian exile. This is what uh, this says to the people here as a promise. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. But first you must seek me and find me. And you must do so by doing it with your entire heart. And if you don't, you may not get there. And then the one from, I brought this up several times from our study in Colossians, is from Matthew 13, where it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and discovered, and he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Because the treasure inside the field, hidden in the field, it has so much value and worth that he gives up anything. So really what he's basically saying is this treasure is more valuable than everything I own. I'd rather have the treasure. Therefore, I'll give up anything necessary to have the field with the treasure because he discovered something better. And this idea of, of being a hidden in a field, you gotta put the work in, you gotta be able to dig, which means you gotta be light, you gotta have no weights. 
You've got to be all self-intensely uh, focused upon this one true treasure. So our life is hidden with Christ, and that's the point of today. And this is what he says in verse 4, the last thing he says in the text. When Christ, who is your life, appears, notice the language again. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I think what he's saying is only those who realize that Christ is their entire life are prepared to meet him. Eternal glory and treasure awaits for those who have realized this. But for those who think Jesus is only a stamp in their life, they're not ready. Because Jesus is no one's stamp. He is your life or he is your enemy. But he's not a stamp. To be saved, you need to know the urgent need for salvation, right? In order to be saved, you need to know how dire things are for you. It's the same for living in Christ. You have to realize that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul says. But according to the, according to the world, to die is everything else. To live is Christ and to have everything else is death. So you have to be convinced of that. And I think that's what Paul is basically saying. In order to set your mind on things above, you have to be convinced that it's treasure and it's valuable. If Christ comes back to find people like I was, supposed followers of him lured away by the cares of this world and not sowing eternally, then neither will they reap eternally. Whatever you're planting is what you're going to get. If you're planting things below, you'll get only things below. If you're planting things above, then your crop will be full of things above. But listen to this today. Christ is not a part of your life. He's not even the best part of your life. According to Paul, he is your life. If you don't have Christ, you're dead. If you don't have Christ, you should despair enough to find that life. So I have a few applications for us today. And this, was, this is one I had to really wrestle with today, this week. Is Christ your life? Once again, not is he in your life, but is Christ your life? Ask yourself, what are you seeking after? What is your mind set upon? And you'll find the answer. What are you seeking and what are you setting your mind on? And there's your answer. There's where your life is. If you're setting your mind on things above and you're practicing the things Christ taught us, then you should have great assurance that Christ is your life. But if you're setting your mind on things below, there might be a problem. In fact, there is a problem. That problem either is you're not believing properly or you never first received Christ. And I don't know what it is for you. I'm not even sure I knew what it was for me. When I came to this realization at age 26, I wasn't sure what I needed to do. Turn to Christ for the first time or just get up and start obeying? You know what I taught myself or what I told myself I should do? Get up and try to obey. If I can obey, if God strengthens me and gives me the right knowledge and proper wisdom and power to do so, there's no mistake about it. I'm in Christ. How can I do that without him, right? According to John 15, I can't. So I began to obey and I began to cast off old things. And I realized... I just wasn't believing. I needed to get up and move in the proper direction. So is Christ your life? Number two, how is the devil deceiving you from believing that Christ is your life? 
I, I really had to think about that, going, what is he putting in my way to get me to realize that Christ is just a part of my life or a stamp on my hand? And really, I didn't even know Christ when I was 26. And that was a really scary thing. I didn't even know anything about him. When people would ask me about Jesus Christ, would be like, he's the one who saves me from my sins, which is true. It's the most profound part. But he's also your king and your friend and your sustaining grace, isn't he? He's the true vine, isn't he? He's the shepherd, isn't he? According to John 6, he's the bread of life. You eat and you're nourished by Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You don't have life, you don't have hope, and you don't have anything beyond the grave. So what is the devil telling you this week, today, to convince you that Jesus is only a part of your life? Because the devil's distractions, like we mentioned before, is not very blunt. It's very subtle. He's, he's, he's a part of your life. Jesus is a part of your life. He's a part of your life. He's a part of your life. And you start to believe it and go, yeah, he is a part of my life. And then you come to scripture and go, wait a minute. He is my life. He's my everything. He's my all. If I have him, I have everything. If I don't have him, I have nothing. Lastly, if you, receive, you understand that today and you realize there's something you need to change, what is it? You need to change so that you're constantly and faithfully pursuing Christ as your life. And I want to even take that further. Make a plan because it's great. It's great to be convicted, right? It's great to sit under convicting preaching and go, wow, that was convicting. And it's like the person who looks at himself in the mirror sees a lot of things they need to change and they don't do anything about it. The point is not conviction. <laughs> conviction is a means to change. What? Do you need to change today, if anything, so that you can be more purposeful to treasure Christ? If you haven't yet received Christ, please come speak to me. Or if you're confused. I know what it's like. I've been there. But if you don't come speak to me, there's something much, much better you can do. Go directly to the Lord. You don't need my help. I would love to help if I can. But Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. But for those who, have, who are in Christ and have tested themselves and checked themselves, I want to challenge you to do this. Go beyond what the world calls valuable. Go beyond that. Dig for the treasure of treasures and discover your true life. And when you do, you will not go back. When you discover the treasure of treasures, the man who found the treasure hid in the field, nobody convicted him to sell all this stuff. Nobody said, hey, dude, what are you doing? I thought you loved this treasure. In his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. So go beyond what this world calls treasure to the treasure of treasures. And don't miss out on this treasure. Missing out on the treasure of treasures will be tragic. Set your mind on things above, which are greater, longer, more joyful things. This world is cheap and poor. It just is. This world really has nothing to offer us. It's found in Christ. 
Only fools would choose anything in this world can offer over the Lord Jesus. And I was a fool, and I did. And sometimes I still do follow the things of this earth. But Paul says, listen to the text. I'm just going to read it one more time. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is Christ your life today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for teaching us. You don't leave us in the dark. We don't have to guess. We don't have to go the pattern of this world, Father. You have given us a testimony from the Lord himself. It's not even third party. We're getting it directly from the life and the mouth of Jesus and his apostles. Father, I pray that we listen to this today. Are we only living for half the truth? Do we only consider that Jesus is a part of our life? Because it's a lie. As much truth as there is in that, it's not telling the whole truth, and therefore it's a full lie. Jesus is our life. And I ask that you take us all there in our minds and our hearts to set our minds on things above so that when people look at us, it's otherworldly. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the treasure of treasures. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.